My Universal Monster Inspired Mead Project continues with the second in the series and my second for this year. This episode is all about the Wolfman Boucher. Welcome to Big Monster Brewing. I am Matt, and in this episode, I'll be making my next mead in my Universal Monsters Inspired Meads project. And this one is going to be a Boucher. If you're new to the show and haven't heard the details on this project, check out the episode about the Frankenstein's Monster Mead for all those details. For the listeners that know what this is all about already, the next monster in this series is the Wolfman, and there's a stylistic connection to this mead. But let's talk about the mead style first, because that'll help tie all these ideas together and the inspiration. It'll become much clearer, I think. I'm making a bochet. A bochet is a mead made from caramelized honey. It's a pretty straightforward process. You bring honey up to a simmer until you reach the color and the reduction that you're looking for. I'm looking to make a rich bordering on dark brown color in my bochet honey, and that should result in a rich brown colored mead. And that's where the Wolfman inspiration comes in. Now, for the original Wolfman movie from 1941, that was black and white, so we don't really know what color the Wolfman's fur was, but most artists' renderings, masks, action figures, etc., of that version of the Wolfman show him with brown fur, and that is the tie-in for this mead. We're going for a color match. The recipe is a pretty simple list of ingredients. The real work is going to be caramelizing that honey in the entire bocheting process. But for the recipe, for reference, at least for the start of it, we'll see what happens in the end when I start measuring numbers. My plan is to use two and a half pounds of orange blossom honey and boche that until dark brown. Not burnt, but dark brown. Because we're going to lighten it up with another pound of orange blossom honey that's completely unaltered. Then I'm going to add water to get to that a little bit of a gallon plus point in the fermenter because I wanted to leave some room for when I rack it, start racking it back and forth so we don't create a lot of headspace in those first few transfers. For the yeast, I'm going with the tried and true Lalvin 71B yeast. I'm going to add three grams of GoFirm with that on the start to give it its best possible shot because I think this is going to be a little more difficult fermentation for the yeast than just a straight up honey. I think the, I, I believe, I don't know the science, but I do know the idea behind complex sugars and full bodied beers. And you tend to get that by creating richer, more complex sugar chains that the yeast don't entirely break down. And I think that's what happens when you caramelize honey. I could be way off on that and setting myself up for failure, but that's what I'm going to add the go from. Even if it chews through the sugars, the same as it would Completely unaltered honey, it, that's that's fine. I want this to ferment out as quick as possible so I can back sweet, or as far as possible, I should say, so I can back sweeten to my desired taste. Along with that, I'm going to use four grams of Fermate O altogether, but I'm going to do a staggered nutrient yeast nutrient addition, and I'm going to add that on day, this is, uh, there's making day, we'll call that day zero, and then I'm going to add it on day one, day two, day three of fermentation, then day seven. There is a, a calculation in there where it's either 
you either add it on day seven or you add it at one third sugar break, whichever comes first, I think. With one gallons, I found waiting till seven days has not done any harm, even if it's fermenting way faster or way slower than you expect. So that's been my rule of thumb for one gallon batches. If I were to make bigger batches, I might be a little more concerned about my numbers, but that is my thinking and that is my process when doing the one gallon batches. So that's it for the primary. And I, it might be it altogether. We, I won't know until fermentation ends. We see what number we end at and mainly what it tastes like. The numbers are just kind of a verification that fermentation is done. It's how is it going to taste in the end? I'm planning to back sweeten this mead, but I really have to see how everything ends up in the end and how it tastes. Same goes for any tannin additions and acid additions. This is one that I, I, I won't know until the end what I'm going to do. So I will definitely be recording that as I go. And I can't do anything on a as I go unless I get started. So let's get started with making this Wolfman inspired mead. It's the Wolfman Boche mead making day. And I am about to start the first step of that process. I'm actually in the prep work for it. And that is getting ready to Boche, which is Simply boiling the honey. I say simply, but it's it's you boil the honey and track the color progress to get it to where you want the, I guess, the color and maybe even to an extent the consistency. I'm going more for color of the honey. I want that dark brown color to match that inspiration of the Wolfman's fur. So I'm about to do that. The prep work, pretty minor. I've got, I'm going to do two and a half pounds of honey. I have two, two pound jars of it for this particular mead altogether. Once all said and done, uh, that should be the most it takes, but <laughs> that's, I'm putting the cart way ahead of the horse there. I have one of the two pound jars submerged in hot water right now to loosen up that honey to get out as much as I can, as effortly as I can for two of the two and a half pounds. And the other thing I did is I, I gave a nice clean once over to the pot i'm going to boil in it's been put away cleaned and dried but haven't used this for a while so figured any dust that settled in it and anything else that any other unseen contact with unseen who knows what it would not hurt to clean it and then i sprayed it down with some sanitizer which is probably overkill because i'm going to boil the honey and it's going to be for the better part of an hour i don't think we're going to go an hour so that's going to kill anything that's in there but it also isn't going to hurt it so took 10 seconds to spray it down so uh, i'm gonna give the honey another minute or two to loosen up in that hot water and then start weighing that out and then start the bocheting process i've got the pot of honey on the burner so i think i've officially started the boche process even though it hasn't boiled yet so what i'm gonna do is well first i'm gonna stir it constantly so it doesn't burn the, the worst that could the worst thing that could happen is get some scorch on this because that means the whole thing's ruined you get a little scorch in it and it's that's it you're done this is not the first boche meat i've made this is the first one i've made well i've made boche honey for meads with other things in them this is the first one i'm going to make where it's only boche honey or well it's all boche obviously we're gonna have some unaltered honey in it but anyway my point is <laughs> keep that scorch out of that this is this uh, little pot. It's got one of those what, triple layer something or others. It's usually for an induction burner, but also helps with scorching like this. But, you know, it's it, it still could happen. And that is 
It's awful. I don't want to do that. So to walk through what we're going to do here, as I as once this comes to a boil, I'm going to start a timer, and every five minutes, I am going to take a little sample, and that's involves taking a toothpick and dabbing it and then putting it on a white plate. I have a white styrofoam plate here, which I have far away from the burner so it doesn't melt. And that'll give me an idea of what the, well, that's going to show me exactly what the color of the honey itself is. And when I find that brown color, that dark brown that I want to kind of represent the Wolfman, that's when I'll stop. Then I'll add a little water to bring the temperature down, stir it up, and then let it get even cooler because it's still, still, even with a little bit of water, it's still going to be too hot to start putting uh, everything together. So that's where we're at. Um, I start very low. I start the burner midway. And that's, I could probably start at like three quarters and get it to a boil. But I, I want to avoid that scorch is the biggest thing. That's probably the first most important thing. Boiling, it's a second. So that's where I'm at now. And I'll probably give a report as I get that color wheel going. Alrighty, we are truly mocheting now. We're at a boil. I wouldn't call it a vigorous boil. I'm not sure you want a vigorous boil. And I started my timer for five minutes. And seeing the boil reminded me something very important to mention if you're learning from this and not just listening for entertainment purposes. If you're going to do this, if you're going to boil a bochet, make sure your vessel though that you're boiling in, that the height is three times the amount of honey you're putting in. And this is just three pounds or three times the height. It might be a little short, but I think it's going to be okay judging by it because when that honey boils up, that whatever you would call that, the, 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 the bubbles, the foam, the, 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 the surface area you get when you boil rises and it doubles in volume, if not more. And I've never had a, I, I actually got this warning studying how to boche before this so luckily i've never had any kind of boil over with honey i can't imagine that is a fun thing to clean so i wanted to mention that as i see mine now just about reaching the top i mean it is at best three quarters of an inch from the top i'm not at a boil yet but i'm starting to get a little uh, there's little bubbles at the bottom that you get before it boils, but I did want to mention that how thin feeling, how viscous, I guess. I don't know if that's not the right word, but I'm sure you're no stranger to honey, whether you've made meat or not. You know, it's it's thick, it's slow, it's it's got a uh, like a really rich texture to it. When you heat it up, it gets close to water. It's not quite water, but it's really close. It's in fact, it it drips when I pull the uh, stirrer out. It's, it's really, it's a neat thing to do. I don't know if you want to heat up some honey just to see it happen, but I think that's pretty neat. And I guess another thing I can mention, because I just wrote it down, I was talking about, speaking of heating up honey, I was talking about warming up that jar of honey so it would come out easier. I got one pound, 14 ounces out of it, which is two ounces shy of a pound. So I wrote that down. I topped off with the other jar to get it to two and a half pounds for this bocheting. And now to add another pound of unbocheted honey, when I get to that point, I will add what's left of that jar that I didn't get out with some water to get it all thinned, thinned and all out of that jar. And then I'll put in 14 ounces of the other honey and that'll give me a pound. And that's my starting point. I'm going to try to hit a specific gravity, so I might, might add more, but I wanted to start with three and a half pounds of 
honey entirely to see what number I get and then add some. So I wanted to make sure that my numbers start off accurate. So if I need to make this again or this as a base for something else, I'll know what to do next time. We're at 15 minutes into the bocheting of the honey and I just took a little color sample for the color wheel. And we're starting to get signs of the conversation now. The first couple, the five and 10 minute, it was different than the uh, unaltered honey color, but now we're starting to see signs that caramelization is going on. And this is the second time I've bocheted. I did a color wheel the first time as well. Watching other videos and reading about it, I learned pretty quick, even before doing it myself, to not take what someone's time is. Like if they've made a bochet and they did it for a full hour, let's say, that's not necessarily going to be give you the same results for many factors the honey itself the vessel you're using the heat and whatnot so that's just kind of wanted to mention that i'm what i'm going for i'm shouting out the numbers or recording the numbers like the, the five minute increments but i'm not really trying to go for a certain amount of time i'm going to go until i get the color that i want this honey to be so that i can get the color i want the mead to be for the wolfman so i don't know what that's going to be i'm thinking it's going to be less than an hour maybe like 45 minutes based on my past experience but I, I really don't know until i get to that color point and i will talk about that when i do get to it I said in an earlier recording, it might have been just two recordings ago, to get a vessel that's three times the height of the amount of honey you have in there. I might have been wrong about that number. Maybe five times is more accurate because I've had to take this honey off the burner a couple times already and we're, we're not even quite 20 minutes into the process yet. And it reminded me to, or made me think to mention two things about boiling honey. One is that when it's almost too late, like it's going to be too late, you need to get it off the heat before it's right at the cusp of boiling over because you'll notice if you ever do this honey is so viscous and so thick when it's not being boiled that the boil holds much longer than water if you take boiling water off a burner it, it'll stop within a few seconds take this off a burner honey boiling honey and that boiling if you're at a really aggressive boil that's going to continue for a, a, a considerable amount of time and if you're already on the cusp of overflowing, the next step is going to be overflowing even not on the heat. So when it even starts to look like it's getting bad, get it off the heat. It's, again, going back to my last recording, you're going for color, you're not going for time. So it's not really going to mess up your numbers unless you're really that particular in measuring your numbers. Like now I have, let's say we're at 20 minutes almost, and I've had taking this off maybe three minutes so i'm really only been boiling it for 17 minutes those are some weird numbers but i don't care about them. i'm going with color the other thing i wanted to mention is that it's boiling so it's it's over 200 degrees and if it makes contact with you it will burn you and unlike water which again the temperature dies down quick within contact of other surfaces and can run off you neither of those happen with honey it stays right where it is and that temperature will not drop and it is it could be one of the worst burns you've ever had so if you're going to do this be very very careful not only with handling this but watch for that boil over if you want to boche for 30 minutes and you're afraid your number is being messed off by taking off for three minutes trust me that inconvenience is going to be much less than 
getting burned by honey. And I've not got burned by honey, but I've gotten burned by grease. In fact, just this um, it was a July 4th weekend, before the July 4th, I got a, a, a really bad grease burn from barbecuing. And that's the same type of thing. It was thick, it was viscous, it didn't cool down quick. It's probably one of the worst burns I've had in a very long time. Not bad enough to get medical attention, but I'm actually looking at where it happened and there's still a scab from how deep it was. So honey would actually be worse. So that's my PSA on boiling honey and to be very careful about it. We're at 35 minutes of the bocheting process and now the color is getting close. I don't think I need to check it every minute, but I would say in about 10 minutes, I'm either gonna be at color or really close and need to start really paying attention to it. The color I'm looking for, again, is a dark brown for the, the Wolfman's uh, fur inspiration for color. But on top of that, it also gives us, that when you get into that range, you get the deep caramel flavors and a slight toastiness. That's what I want. If it starts going past deep, I should say deep brown, not dark brown, like just, I guess maybe just uh, just before dark brown. When you start getting a dark brown leaning towards black, that's going to be a more burnt flavor that I don't want. So I want to straddle that uh, that range without crossing it. It's It goes back to what I was talking about of scorching your honey. It's not the same as a scorch, but it's that kind of burnt flavor that you're not really going to cover up. And you may want that, in your brochet, I do not in this one. So I'm gonna start keeping a close eye. Uh, I, like I say, I think after the next check in, I'm gonna maybe do it every couple minutes instead of every five minutes, make sure I don't take it too far. I'm at the 40 minute mark and it's still not quite pushing towards the brown I'm looking for. So I think I'm safe to go another five minutes before I start checking more regularly. And with that, I kind of thought, um, since the first three to four, the fourth sample, the first one is the honey before it boiled. So I guess, well, the third, we'll call it the third boil sample had almost no change. It wasn't until the fourth. Is it necessary to do it every five minutes? It, I, you probably don't need to do it the first 10, 15 minutes if you're going for a brown colored honey. I'd say around 20, depending on how much you have. The more you have, I think the longer it's going to take. I'm not quite sure about that. But I'd say you might not need to do it the first 15, maybe 20 minutes. But I, there's two reasons I do it. One, it's traditional to do. And two, just seems like the safe thing to do. It's, I, know, I, I think in my head, I know that 20 minutes is not going to burn the honey. But I want to make sure. So that's how I do it. Of the whole two times I did it, of course. That's what I'm doing it now. But if anyone had that question, you probably don't need to start measuring it until around 15, 20 minutes. But I would also say... It literally takes 10 seconds to do it, so why not be safer than more sorry in the end? All right, we're at 50 minutes of the bocheting process. I guess better said, we were at 50 minutes. I'm now done. I've turned off the heat. I've taken the pot off of that burner, put it on a cold burner, and the brown at 50 minutes is exactly where I wanted it. I know I said earlier how it continues to boil even when you take it off. We're talking less than a minute, so I don't think it's going to cross the threshold in the time it took to cool down. So that wasn't a worry. 50 minutes was a nice, I love the color. I think even once this is watered down and mixed with the other honey, which is gonna lighten this up a little bit more, I think that's actually gonna put it at the kind of 
fur brown I'm looking for. This is alone as it is. It is too dark, but I knew that because we're kind of making it concentrate like you would with a juice concentrate. Adding more liquid to it, it's going to get lighter. I think we're dead on. We won't know until everything's done for 100% sure, but I think we are. So I am going to let it sit now for, it's still really foamy. Let's sit for 15, 20 minutes. I'm going to add some water to it before it starts to really thicken up. It's still going to be extremely warm, actually too, too warm to really do anything with at 20 minutes. If I let it go that whole time, adding uh, the water should help. It's still going to be viscous or uh, sorry. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's still going to be, it's not going to be as thick. I can't think of the word I'm looking for. It's not going to be as thick as honey right out of the jar. It's so adding water. It's still a good time to add water at 20 minutes. That was a long run around a track that I'm not even sure if, where I started and where I ended on that. So hopefully that made sense, but I will, I guess, talk about that when I come back and hopefully that makes a little more sense. I have now added water to this Beauchade Mead to help thin it out a little bit. It's still very, very warm. Once it was all cooled down, there was a thick layer of the foam left over on the top, which is still part of the honey. So I stirred it in best I could doesn't ever really completely go away. And with the boil rising up so high on the pot, this pot looks like it is a goopy, well, it is a goopy mess. It looks like it's gonna be impossible to clean, but I can tell you this part I know, hot water running across that is gonna wipe that all away. So if you're doing this and someone in the house or apartment or whatever domicile you share, it with comes over and freaks out just let them know don't worry hot water is going to literally erase that right off the pot you'll still want to clean it but hot water does wonders for honey even bow shade now that we're well past the bochet step i'm going to start getting the rest of this together which i've already started i have my fermenter on a scale and i poured out 14 ounces of the unaltered orange blossom honey put in cup maybe two of water i don't think yeah probably two cups i take it back as i say i think it was that much but that's probably right two cups of water start stirring it up give it a good stir until it feels loose and then another two minutes after that to make sure it's okay and i'm probably going to just touching the side of the pot it's more than body temperature warm because i could feel the heat for that honey so i'm going to add uh, some more water, probably as much as I can fill this with without making it messy to transfer to get it down to a, a close to a uh, reasonable temperature as I can to finish this mead. So that's the that's the stuff I'm going to do right now. I've added the Beauchade honey and the water mixture that I put in the pot. The the pot itself is still warm to the touch, and by that I mean more than room temperature. It's not hot. I can I could hold this all day if i wanted to i don't know why i'd want to but it's it's so it's it's warm it's not room temperature i don't think it's going to be too hot to continue i'm gonna take a temperature reading but there's a couple other things i did that i wanted to mention before i get into the next steps i did add the rest of the gallon of water too i'm using like a 1.2 gallon fermenter so with a full gallon of water and the Beauchade honey and the additional honey it's still got Plenty of headroom to ferment. I, I'm not worried about that space at all. Um, what I, well, I'm not, I was going to say what I am worried about is, well, that's coming next. Um, not worried about, but kind of surprised. Like, uh, when, oh, shoot, forgot that. But 
Um, before I get to that, let me say I did a measurement. The starting gravity right now is 1090. We're going to change that. We're going to make that higher. And the first one is, is with the thing that I looked at and said, oh, shoot, I forgot. So I don't know if you can hear that. That is me putting in a little bit of water inside that jar of honey that still had two ounces in it. That's why I put in 14 ounces of honey a few steps ago because I was going to add this and then that would give me the full pound. So totally forgot that. So I'm going to have to, it still needs some shaking. It's all settled at the bottom now. So I'm going to get that when, when I see completely clear container, just the honey water, I'm going to dump that in. I'll take a measurement again. I don't think it's going to raise too much. It's, it may change a little bit. And then I'm going to see about what I'm going to add direct honey. So I got to, uh, Get back to shaking here. All right, I got the last of that honey in now. And I did take another reading and it went up to 1093, which seems a little high for just two ounces of honey and additional water too. So it could be, uh, it could be a couple of things. It could be the temperature that I believe this refractometer is calibrated at 68 degrees. It's definitely warmer than that, This the must. So it could, could be a factor of that that's cooling down, so I'm getting more, the numbers are reaching towards more accurate. Could be I took a sample where the honey is more concentrated. I'm going to, regardless of that though, my, my target is somewhere closer to 1.100, 1100, however you want to read that. So I'm going to have a little more, and apparently my dog either agrees or dis I think that was a disagreement, but either way, I'm going to add some more honey, um, get it closer to that. If it's a little over, it's fine. If it's a little under, it's fine, but I want to get closer, and I'm going to stir this up some more, uh, make sure everything's really incorporated. I have to stir it when I add the honey, but I'm going to really stir it for quite a while, plus get some oxygen in there get that for the yeast to to help get them started. So I'll do that and I'll come back in and let you know what I did all together. All right, I did add two more ounces of honey, this time just honey, not honey and water, directly to the fermenter. I've been stirring it for quite a while. I'm pretty confident this is well integrated. Everything in there is well integrated. Took a sample, I'm at 1096. Said my goal was 10 or uh, well 1100 zero, zero. and um this is close enough and i'm still not entirely sure that i'm getting a slightly altered uh reading because of the temperature so i'm gonna take that chance i'm not gonna I'm not gonna kind of um hold on to or the idea or, or count on the fact that or count on that that's a fact because it might not be I'm happy with, if, if it's 1096, I'm happy with 1096. If it ends up being a temperature adjustment and I'm closer to 1100, even better. My point is I'm happy with this number. Even if it the temperature variation drops or raises that, I'm still well with the range of what I want this mead to be. It's still going to be double digits in the ABV, and that's what I aim for. So I'm not going to split hairs over this. I am going to write all this down so I make sure I know in case I want to use this as a basis or something in the future. But that's where I'm at. And... Uh, next I got just, this is, I think, I hope I explain this when I get to the introduction. I'm just doing the honey right now, other than the yeast, of course, and the water. All right. So <laughs> it's honey, water, yeast, I'm not doing any tannins now. I'm not doing any acid additions now, no other flavorings. I just want to see what this ferments out to and how it tastes before we do anything else. But I do have to ferment it. So I'm going to get the ferment dough together and then I'm going to pitch the yeast. So I'll be right back with that info. 
All right, I had gotten three grams of Fermate O together, put it in some warm-ish water, something a little warmer than room temperature, stirred it with a fork because a spoon is like just, it, it, all it does is stick to the spoon. That stuff is so clumpy when it hits water, it's ridiculous. So I've been using a fork. It also stinks. It's one of the smelliest ingredients I use in brewing, but it helps out dry yeast tremendously. Got that all stirred up well incorporated it, this, you wouldn't think that three grams stirring in three grams of anything would take as long as it takes to break this apart but it does and i think i said this in the last episode as well to be fair wine tannins are exactly the same way if you get powder tannins but still it's it always surprises me it feels like it's taking longer than it should but it seems to be the same amount every time anyway when all said and done so but those are in i stirred that up a little bit the yeast i am going to use lalvin 71b and last time I used this, I got a pack of 10, fairly cheap on Amazon, like actually really cheap for what I got. And I'm starting to see why. I see no expiration date. Well, I take that back. Hold on. Let me get, I have one that's already, I already wiped it down with sanitization fluid. I haven't done my hands yet, so I want to do that. Now, there's no expiration date I can see on here. No kind of, uh, the only computer code on here is, is printing is Canada. No expiration date. So I think these are a little past their prime. However, I used... One or two? Two. I think I used two of these. Both ferment. Yeah, I did use two. Both fermentations were super slow to start, but they got up the speed, and I've already racked one, and it dried completely. So it's fine. It just might take a little longer to start, which means another two, three days fermentation. No big deal. I already let these sit for a month before I even touch them, so I'm fine with that. So, um, yeah, I got to go clean my hands, sanitize my hands, and then pitch this yeast, and then seal this up, and then we'll be... Well, done for today. We got a lot more to do as time goes on. Okay, yeast is pitched, and I used almost the entire pack because it's a pretty high starting gravity. And like I said, I think it's an older yeast, so I'm going to give it its best chances possible. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think. I, I say almost entire pack. I dumped in everything that went in. A lot stuck to the sides, a lot stuck to the outside because it was still a little damp from... Uh, wiping off sanitation fluid and then i tore it open with my fingers which re-added to the moisture outside the pack so it's 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 almost five grams it's if it's less than four and a half i'd be surprised um i did say i think in the beginning it's been a much longer day than i expected with the bocheting process i think i said in the beginning i'm going to stagger the nutrients so there's no fermato in this yet there will be in about 24 hours from now i've sealed it up and there's good pressure on it already, which there's always some kind of pressure when I put the lid on, but it seems to be holding. So I'm thinking this yeast might start a little faster than it did the last time I used it, maybe. Maybe. I, I, we'll see. Um, literally, time will tell on this one. Okay, as a follow-up to the whole yeast thing I was just talking about, I just now cleaned up. I cleaned up the honey out of the pot that was bocheted again hot water did 98 percent of that and uh, the rest of it was hand cleaning with some soap to make sure i got everything out cleaning off the what do you call it the silicone stir that i used that was a little little more i had to wipe that down scrub it actually several times one thing i didn't mention in all this is that bocheting honey boiling honey is a peculiar smell and i don't know if i like it or not the taste is fantastic the aroma while boiling, it's different. It's maybe acquired. I don't know what you would call it. Um, if you ever do this, you'll know what I'm talking about. Or if you've ever done it, you know what I'm talking about. It's a unique smell. 
And it's not something I wanted I, that was coming off that, it was coming off that silicon stir, that paddle, whatever you call it, like big time. I had to, I had to really scrub it down three times to kind of get the smell to wane from it. Um, the aroma, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, it's, it's not only is it, uh, well, peculiar is a good word. Not only is it unique, it's also pungent when it's in contact with something that's a little porous apparently. But having said all that, cleaning up, wiping down the counter, doing everything I normally do, the airlock is bubbling now barely. I mean, it's taking about 30 seconds for it to bubble, but it's bubbling. So this yeast is already working faster than the last time I used it. I still think it's maybe a little old, but I think I gave it a better chance by pitching more, and I also stirred it in. I normally don't do that. I usually let it sit on the top. I stirred it in, so I think that's what I'm going to do. I have seven more packets of this, uh, this this particular strain. I got packets of all kinds of yeast, but this 71B, so I'm going to do, um, as I continue to use it, just keep handling it like with a big pitch, stir it in, and let it go, and I think we're going to be okay. We're going to see uh, tomorrow if we get the kind of consistent bubbling going in this. It's two days later from my last recording and I just added the second Fermade O yeast nutrient addition. It's a process where it's just quicker to do with two hands. I could set something up to put the lid that I take off in and, and so it doesn't get in contact with anything and or if it does a sanitized surface and put in the fermato and stir it with the other hand while I record, or I could just hold the lid so it doesn't touch anything and I can put it back on and be done. So that's what I do. So I didn't record either one as I'm doing them, which sounds like, why would I bother? Because you're just putting in new nutrients and stirring. I'd bother because it, it's actually, it's, it's always neat in these first three days because it gets really foamy. Because I also stir, I stir it in for two reasons. One, to incorporate the fermato and two, to off-gas it a little bit. There's a lot of CO2 in there. And when you do that, it gets really super foamy, like a really thick head from a, a weedy beer, like a Belgian wit or a, or a, some kind of German um, Weiss beer. And the sound is really neat because it actually, you hear, it's like that sea foam uh, that dissipates when a, when a uh, wave washes across shore. It's a neat sound, but not neat enough to go through all the work I had to do to, to record it. Maybe tomorrow when I do it. By Saturday, it probably won't be that bad. So um, just mentioning so far, so good. Uh, the fermentation appears to have slowed down as, if you go by the, uh, the the aggressiveness of the bubbles coming through the airlock. They're still pretty steady, but they're slower than they were after 24 hours. But they're still steady, and there's always pressure on that airlock. So it's definitely not done. Smelled fantastic when I opened it today. That's another thing worth mentioning. It smelled really good. Almost makes me want to take a measurement and see if I want to stabilize it. Like if it's at, uh, what, 10? Well, I can't imagine be at 1020. That's where I kind of like my meads, me personally, but I like them sweeter than most people. But it's, it can't possibly be that low already. But it smells terrific. I have not tasted it. You haven't taken a sample. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. We shall see. But uh, so far, so good. Um, that's, uh, I think, it. Um, oh, the decast. I started all that conversation. I got <laughs> swept up in the foam that I forgot I wanted to mention why even bother degassing it when it's going to eventually gas off in itself. It's an excessive amount of CO2 in, in there. And CO2 and alcohol 
or byproducts of yeast. It's their waste. And while they don't see them on alcohol that much, at least up to a point, there is a tolerance, and that's listed on most yeast packages. Like after 11% of the volume, the yeast just won't do anything anymore, and it might even kill them. CO2, on the other hand, is, I think, from... Man, I don't know the biological or any kind of science-based explanation, but apparently that is actually a little less... Uh, light, they're less tolerated by yeast, and an excessive amount of CO2 can cause them to do some funky things and create some funky flavors. So in those first few days, I like to off-gas, uh, no, just a little bit. I don't, I don't get crazy about it. I don't sit there and stir until there's no more CO2. Just make sure I get the excessive amount out of it. I mean, think about it. Again, if it's, it's a waste product, it'd be like sitting in a room with your own, with your own gas, filled with your own gas, which after some bad home brews has actually kind of happened in my car after judging. I'm not sure if I'm going to leave that part in or not. <laughs> we'll see when we get to editing, but I think you get the idea. So um, two more days of yeast nutrients this week, and then just let literally let nature take its course. It's four days after making this meat. It's Thursday, which means yesterday I put in the third yeast nutrient addition and now i'm going to wait to put in the last one on saturday but i felt the need to record on thursday because i don't know what happened uh, last recording i believe it was the last recording i said how the the bubbling in the airlock had, had gone down it was going what you'd expect and then slowed down rather quickly i don't know if doing the stirring and adding the uh yeast nutrients kick-started something or if the yeast got its second wind but now it's bubbling like not quite double the amount but like one and a half times as much as it was at its peak just a few days ago so something kicked in and um don't know i wouldn't say i was worried i thought uh at worst it was going to be a long longer than normal fermentation for a mead but now i'm not too worried about it because this thing is going crazy so that's that update and then i'll take another really good look at it in a couple days when i add that last uh, edition of yeast nutrients it's been a month and three days since my last recording and the wolfman mead is still fermenting it's slowed down considerably but there's still Uneven pressure in the airlock, which is the first indication that something's still happening. That means gases are coming out. But I have measured it the past couple weeks, and the measurement is still dropping. The gravity is still dropping. Right now it's at 1.004, which puts this at 12.41%. It could... Um, it could go a little lower. Well, it's still going, so I'm sure it's going to go lower. I don't expect this to go super dry, like below one because i think those caramelized caramelized sugars are some complex chain sugars that won't get fermented so i think this is going to end relatively high for me it'd be much this would be way higher for a beer if it ended anywhere the what lower than it is now but i think for me it's going to level out i'm predicting point 1.002 but i really have no idea because i didn't expect it to be fermenting this long this is i think the longest it's taken a mead to ferment but as long as it's still going i mean i can't I, there's nothing really to complain about um i think what i may do 
is give it another week. It, that's not going to be a problem. I, I, it's not like I'm pressed for time or needy equipment. If it still seems to be fermenting, like if there's still pressure coming out of it, I'm going to give it a taste, knowing that I will probably want to back sweeten it and balance it, but I'm going to give it a taste as it is as a base. And if I'm happy with it, I can't imagine it's cloyingly sweet at 1.004 now, even maybe a point less then. If it's not cloyingly sweet, I may stabilize it so I can move on and start getting to some other universal monster meads. But right now, it's still going. It's It looks healthy. It looks great. The color is fantastic. So I'm happy so far. I just got to let it keep going. So I'm going to give it another week before I make any kind of decision. After what's five days short of two months, I am finally comfortable that this mead, this Wolfman Boucher actually, has stopped fermenting. In fact, I think, too, let me look at my notes, maybe closer to, it was probably closer to a month ago, it was probably close enough to be done. It's been leveled out at 10.04 for two weeks now. I measured it three times. And it, I think the, the measurement I have written down before that was 10.05. So I probably could have stabilized then. And the, the, what I gained is so negligible in that last point of gravity. But my first pochet, I wasn't quite sure how caramelized honey reacts with yeast in terms of fermentation time and the attenuation and completeness. I wanted to be sure, completely sure. I am now sure because that number has not moved in two weeks. Neither has the airlock. And now I'm going to rack it on top of stabilizers, just to be 100% sure, let that sit for about a week or so. I definitely want to get it off the lease, that's the thing, off that and off the dead yeast. But let it sit for a week or so on, with the stabilizers, then I'm gonna, maybe, I'm going to adjust the flavor if I find something I want to adjust. I was gonna say back sweeten, but it fairly, it tastes fairly sweet, even though it's 10.05, it tastes sweeter than that, because I think that's the, comes from the caramelization of that honey. So I'm going to play with the taste a little bit. I do want to make sure there's some acidic balance, something maybe not directly noticeable, but there. So I will get to that. But first, I got to rack this, which is what I'm going to do next. I have now racked the Wolfman Mead from the first fermenter, which is a, the the uh, man, I forget the brand, but it's the 1.2, maybe 1.25 gallon fermenter into a one gallon jug with stabilizer. So it's stabilized and I did taste it and it's not bad. It's very hot. It's very young. So it's still very hot, but there is a certain balance to it already. It might do with a little more sweetness to kind of bring out the caramelized nature of that caramelized honey but there's also a little bit of acidity to it not very strong just uh, just on the like balance perspective of it it's not sour and it's not like i said not strong there's just a nice balance to it little little acidity that i'm not sure where it's coming from <laughs> i've not made a straight boucher before so i'm not sure if that's normal and it could be from the non-boucher honey as well but it's, so far i'm not really planning to do a whole lot except back sweeten just a little put a little more honey in to draw all of that honey character out from the Boucher. And I think that's all I'm going to be doing. It's hard to tell because I'm not going to do that for a few weeks, probably two at the very least. So the taste two weeks, three weeks from now, whenever I do it may be completely different. So, but right now, if I were to start balancing this, I just put a little more orange blossom honey in and 
really, uh, that's about it. But time will tell. So we shall come back and talk about that very soon. I am finally putting the finishing touches on the Wolfman Mead. And this has been a, a much longer wait than I anticipated. Just things got crazy, especially with beer brewing. We had a real shot at getting the uh, state trophy for our club. So I was doing all I could to put my best efforts in and it paid off because we got it. And everything else during that time got put to the side. So to give you a timeline here, it is November 27th today. And I first made this mead in July 23rd. So August, September, October, November, four months and four days. I'm finally finishing, at least I'm doing the balancing. I'm going to give it a taste. I don't think, well, I don't know yet. I haven't gotten there. My guess, which we're going to find out real soon, is that it doesn't need any spec sweetening because it's a Beauchet. But it may need a touch of brightness with some acid to kind of level that out. I could be wrong on both parts, and or bright with one, and one of the, any combination of what I said. And something else I might not be thinking of may happen here shortly. So I am sanitizing everything, getting ready to rack this into a pitcher where I can check this, uh, check everything, mix and stir anything together that I, I need to balance this meat is what I'm trying to say. So... All right, I'm gonna get, like I said, everything set up here, rack it in, and then see what we get. All right, I got my first taste of the mead in my hand, so let's check it out. First, the color is awesome. It's such a nice color. It looks like bourbon, and it's, uh, it's I don't know what, are, what other color to compare it to. Just think of bourbon, because that's exactly what this looks like. It smells. Strangely fruity. I wasn't expecting that. Like candied fruit, like Starburst, like actually, like a, like you open a bag of Starburst, like a Halloween pack, and you get all the flavors kind of coming out of that at once. That's almost exactly what it smells like. A little bit of that tart of the lemon and the orange, and a little bit of the sweet of the strawberry and cherry. So, all right, let's get to the taste because that's what will. Most likely, if anything, needs some work. Oh, it's quite dry. Okay. I didn't think it needed back sweetening, but it does. Ooh, wow. Oh, man. Um, yeah, let's start with that. Um, actually, hold on. I'm tasting it. There's actually an already, already some kind of brightness to it. I don't know what. I can't remember... If I front-loaded this with uh, any acids, it does not look like it from my notes here. But, ooh, boy, does that need a... That needs some kind of uh, back-sweetening. So that's what I'm going to do now. So I'm going to no, um, do this to taste. I'm not even really going to worry about the amount. So I'm going to... I had some wildflower honey ready, and that's what I'm going to use. So I'm going to start with that, give it a good dose, because this is dry. So I'm going to try that and be right back. All right, second try here. Aroma is largely the same. No real honey addition to that. Let's go right into the taste. It's a little bit of improvement, but it still, still needs some more. I think I put about, if I had to guess, like two ounces in. Maybe 
two more ounces to four ounces. I am now going to, just to, for brevity of listening, brevity I should say, I'm going to start adding more honey a little bit at a time until I get it where I like it. And then I'll just come back and I'll take a gravity reading and I'll tell you how much additional sweetness I put in through, it'll all be through honey. I'm not going to put any other sugars in, but this could take could take one try, could take 10 tries. So instead of coming back with 10 different recordings, I'll give you a final what I did to get to sweeten. And then if I'm going to do some changes there, I'll talk about that when we come to it. Okay, I think I got it exactly where I wanted, not only with sweetness, but with everything else. Um, let me get a little taste and kind of describe what I'm talking about. So I did two more honey additions. I was really hesitant to do the second one, but I'm glad I did because I don't think that made it much sweeter. It did make it a little sweeter, but I think it added a honey component that's been missing throughout this entire adjustment. So that's that's good. It's got a little bit of honey character now that wasn't there before. And I'm not going to add any acids or tannins to it. It's got a very nice mouthfeel. There's a little bit of a brightness to it. It was actually kind of tart before the sweetening. It was a little too far past bright, but there's a nice brightness to it. There's a really good mouthfeel on it. I think if I put anything else in, I might ruin it. And I like where it's at right now. It's, it's, I, I would want it sweeter, which is interesting. Like, how do I say? I take that back. I don't want this sweeter. Normally, my taste would, would be screaming sweeter, but for this Boche, I didn't want just uh, uh, overall sweetness to take away from the rest of the character on this. But I did do a gravity reading. And it's at 1.019, and I usually like my meads at 1.020, so it's not far from what I like. In fact, I mean, that's negligible. So it, I'm surprised that my taste buds are asking, asking for more sweetness, because it's actually getting the sweetness it usually tends to like best. So I found that, found that interesting, but I'm not going to mess with it anymore. Take a little, one more sip here. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I mean, I guess there could be something better with it, but there's far more potential for something to go wrong if I mess with this anymore, I think. I don't want to say good enough. I like where it's at a lot. I like this a lot. And I think with more aging, especially once it gets in a bottle, it's going to be even better. So I'm going to leave it at this. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm gonna, I almost like cut my losses. There's no loss here. It's all gain. I'm going to stop my. I'm going to stop myself despite myself because there's always like I always feel like I could tinker with a little more and go too far. But this is so close to perfect, if not perfect. And I don't think my mind will ever let me say something's perfect, which is a problem that it's not worth the risk because it's really good right now. And even though I was joking that this is what four months old was it? I forget now. I, yeah, four months old. It's actually incredibly good for only four months old, which means it's only going to get better. So I'm not going to mess with it. So I am going to rack this back into the fermenter. And then I'm going to, now that I put honey in it, it definitely is going to need some clearing. So I'm going to put some super clear in it in a couple days, let that sit for a few more days, probably a week, and then bottle it. We're done with this. And I will come back for that bottle tasting, which I'm kind of excited about because I really liked how this turned out in the end. It is tasting time, at least the initial tasting time, because to recap the project launch episode, these are meads that are intended to be bottled and aged for a year and see how they hold up in that year. Have they gotten better, worse, kind of get an idea of 
which one of these styles and which one of these particular meads do best over time? And then a second bottle for maybe a year after that, sometime after, after that first year. But to wrap up this episode, to give some kind of end to this entire saga that is this episode, this whole process of Boucheng, I am going to taste it. And I have tasted it during bottling time, and I'm going to blow the lead a little bit and say I'm very happy to taste it again right now. So, first thing I want to talk about is, like I always do, is the color. It's brown. It's undeniably brown. But it's now lighter than it was when I said the color was perfect, and I know exactly why. It's because I've now find it in that little bit, even though it wasn't really hazy or even cloudy, just a little bit of of um, opaqueness to it. It was mostly clear, but not you wouldn't call it clear yet until I put the super clear in. Now that I did and everything's dropped out of it, it's actually dropped now and more light comes through it, which is kind of the point. Now that it's clear, now that it's crystal clear and more light comes through it, it's actually dropped a shade, maybe two, depending on what your scale is. So while it's brown, it's not light brown. It's still brown. It's just under the color, I think, would perfectly represent the Wolfman, but it's still close. So there are ways to combat that if they do it again. One is to Boucher the Honey Longer, which uh, I don't know. I could do it a little longer and still not get in the burnt rage. The other would be to do more Boucher Honey. That's probably the better course of action and maybe not use any any um, un- unaltered honey, unboucheted regular honey, unboucheted honey, just all Boucher honey and water. That might hold the color better. It's still close, but I would like to have gotten this closer. And maybe if I do this again, we will. So now on from that, let's go to the aroma. I have a sample here. And there the the there was a distinct booziness at last racking and a little bit more bottling. That's starting to wane. And it's leading it's opening up to letting more of a really rich caramel aroma to come through that was kind of there was that beauchade dark honey um or the caramel caramelized honey you got kind of the rich honey uh aroma before but now there's a distinct caramel honey along with that which is becoming very pleasant and i'm really really excited to see what happens when the heat of this alcohol really uh, or fully subsides as, as, much as, as much as it's going to, I should say. It may never go away, but I still think it's going to drop a little bit more. And I think we're going to get a very pleasant mix of caramel and honey. Because right now we've got a little booze, a little bit of caramel, a lot of honey. More honey than I probably was expecting to have in this in the end. But in a good way. In a good way. I don't mean to say that it's too much because it's not. And I just think that if the alcohol keeps making way for that caramel to come out as it subsides, as alcohol subsides, it's going to be a perfect balance. But it's very pleasant balance. Now I'm not going to complain about that. But how does it taste? Let's find out. So right on the tongue, honey, caramel, and booze. It exactly follows the aroma. I mean, there's really <laughs> no surprises in there. In the af- finish and lingering into the aftertaste, particularly in the finish, there is a distinct brightness, like a little acidity, which is super interesting because I didn't add any specific acids to this whatsoever. It's, it's nice. It's bright. It's not sour. It's not tart, but it's definitely noticeable. Um, one thing, let's see, I taste it again before I comment on that too much. Yeah, it wasn't just a palate adjustment. 
One thing, interestingly, as opposed to last time I tasted this, it's finishing a little thinner than I remember. I wouldn't call it thin, but I kind of remember this being much richer. And now it kind of makes me feel like I'm missing the tannins I could have got from tea or oak or maybe even just adding direct wine tannins to it, which I didn't do because it didn't need it. But now it feels like it could, I don't know if need it's the right word, but it could, it would benefit from it. It would make it even better. Let me see if it's just, take another sip. That's, that's maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it now that I'm analyzing it for the, for the recording. I held it in my mouth a little longer that time. And while it's in my mouth, while it's on my tongue, rolling around the top of my palate over my cheeks, it still feels full bodied. It's not until the finish, until I swallow it, that it thins out. That's really strange. Usually it's, you kind of know right away, but huh, that's, that's, that's different. I'm not sure I've experienced that with uh, mead before or beer or, or ever get two different sensations. I'm going to try again for the sake of science. That's the only place it feels thin is on a swallow. Even in the aftertaste, I think because the, the honey and the caramel linger a little bit in the aftertaste, which I didn't mention because I mentioned the brightness. There's, I think the most complexity in this comes out in the aftertaste, which is interesting, but not unheard of. I've had that with beers as well. You get the honey, you get the sweet, you get the caramel, you get the you get the sensation of the alcohol, and you get that brightness. But the one thing that doesn't carry through is not as rich. It's it's a thin aftertaste, but it's not in the mouth. That's really different. Maybe that's something that's happening at the point of the maturity of this. I'm not sure. Um, we'll know when I go and taste it again. Um, but to just kind of recap this, which I've now, I'm going to try to do, uh, recap everything that went on here. I did the recipe pretty much remained unaltered except for the addition of another four ounces of orange blossom honey to get that number closer to my starting number. I was aiming for about one, one, zero, zero. When I got to one zero nine six, which is what starting gravity of this mead, I stopped there and that took an additional four ounces of orange blossom honey unaltered. That was not Beauchade. It finished. It. I took a measurement. This. I started making this. I did make this. Put this together on July twenty third, two thousand twenty three. On August twentieth, I took a measurement as a one zero zero five. Almost a month later, September eighteenth, I took another measurement. It was one zero zero five. So it was ready. That's when I racked it, stabilized it, and let it clear a little bit. And then. Wow, two, two months later, holy cow, I know I drug my feet on this because of Halloween, our nights, and everything else in there. Wow, 1127, geez, I added wildflower to bring that up to 1019, and about 1020 is where I like my mead, so I I, I I can see why I stopped there, and when I go back and listen to the recordings, I'll probably even know better why. In fact, the taste-wise, I can tell why, why I stopped there. It tastes exactly where I want it to be. Altogether, this comes out to 11.96%, which I rounded up to 12% on the bottle because that's close enough, and it's a cooler-looking number than 11% for a drink. And, yeah, uh, that's the recap. And let me taste it again now that I've sipped it, talked, and let my kind of like my mouth and, and everything and palate, everything kind of clear up when I talk, see if I get anything different from it. It's actually... A little better. <laughs> I, think, I think it's warming up now. And I think that's bringing out more of the, the caramel and the Beauchade honey taste. So it's, I did pour it fairly cold. Um, yeah, I'm going to let this sit and warm up, I think, and, and finish this off after the recording. I'm not going to let, I'm not going to sit here and make you wait for the temperature to rise, but I think it's actually grown in flavor as it warmed up. It's still got that strange thinner 
not thin. I don't want to get the wrong impression. It's then thinner aftertaste. So we'll see how that ages out as time goes. Well, at least a year from now, roughly a year from now. As far as bottles, I have my four bottles, uh, my four fancy bottles, two for my tasting, two for two other friends. And I got another six, uh, what do you call them? Six ounce bottles for maybe competitions. And then I put the rest into 12 ounce bottles, which I think, wow, I don't have, it had to be three. I think it was three of them. And one was not full. That's the one I'm actually tasting from now. So I will have two after that. It was actually a lower yield than usual. I kind of, the long story short, when I was racking it into the pitcher that I used to then rack siphon from in the bottles, I kind of like, I don't know why, if it slipped or whatnot, for some reason, I, I kind of lifted the siphon out of the fermenter and I started catching some air going through it. So I stopped transferring it. I didn't want oxygen to get directly into the meat and oxidize it. And I didn't want to start pumping it all over again. So I left a little bit, the, the bit that was left in that first fermenter, I just, I, I let that go. And it was considerable. I probably could have got another, I probably could have filled that last 12 ounce bottle out of it. And then to make matters slightly worse, I forgot to take, there's a cap that goes on the end of the siphon that you use when you don't want it to dip into the lease or the tube if you're using beer. There was none in the pitcher, so I didn't need it, but I didn't take it off. So I had some more loss than I would normally have then too. So this is a shorter run than I usually have and all, all from human error, not from anything the process wise or that the, didn't work out with the mead. So my fault on that twice, not once, but twice. So um, I think that's all I can really say until I taste this in a year. So I guess that is it for this episode. And I do want to mention though, in this, that I did barely meet the goal that I set on the launch of this project. And that goal was that I wanted to do at least two of these Universal Monster-inspired meads a year. And I'll be posting this episode on January 30th. It's January 29th now. I got to take some time to put it all together on January 30th of 2023. But it's even though it's barely two this year, I it's still got two done this year. And that is that's that's that was the goal, and I met it. I honestly thought I'd get four of these done this year at the pace I started and some of the ingredients I bought and the meads that I planned out, but two were done this year. There is one was really close. Um, I think, yeah, I'm at the point of where I'm going to, going to backflate. Well, I shouldn't give the details, but it's, it's really close. Well, you, you heard me say I was going to backsweeten it. So you know how close it is. Um, we'll see how long I drag my feet between backsweetening it, clearing it, bottling it like I did this one. But there is one right behind it. So that'll be one, hopefully early in the year, gives me the rest of the year to do a second one. But that is something to discuss next year. So more about that in 2024. Until then, of course, I have to say thank you for listening. And I'd certainly like to add Happy New Year. I hope 2024 is a fantastic year for everyone out there. That's it. Thanks again, and I'll see you in the next episode.